Welcome to Energy Radio. This episode is episode 69, and uh, we have two guests today. I'm very excited to have them on, on the podcast, and we've got some good topics to discuss. But first, uh, my co-host, Lisa Katz. Lisa, welcome to Energy Radio. Thank you very much, Matt. How are you doing today? I couldn't be better. And you? I'm great, and I'm very excited to uh, to have our guests on today's show. I've spoken with them many, many, many times before, and uh, Mark, I know, is a big fan of energy uh, news. So, uh, anyways, it'll be it'll be fun. So, uh, with uh, without further ado, I will in, uh, invite and uh, welcome our guests. So, Morgan McGregor and Mark Murray from Liberty Utilities, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. So, okay. I'll I'll start off with. Uh, Maybe one of you, uh, Mark. Why don't we start with you to to start off with, and then Morgan, we can jump to you afterwards. Would love to get a bit of a a background on sort of the evolution of your career, how you got into the energy space, and you can go back as far as you like, and sure. you know how you ended up at Liberty Utilities. Well, uh, thanks, thanks, Lisa. Uh, first, uh, good afternoon to you and Matt. Great, great to meet you again. Thanks for having us uh, today. Um, my journey through Liberty came through uh, Liberty's acquisition of the Enbridge business in New Brunswick, where uh, Enbridge operated the natural gas distribution network. Uh, I was there for almost nine years where I was responsible at the time for uh, customer acquisition, marketing, communications. You know, really uh, customer facing was, was really where I was focusing at business development as, as we have it today. Uh, prior to that, I held, held similar roles within uh, national and international energy and consumer good organizations where I worked in Canada and Europe. And within Liberty, currently, I'm the, the business uh, director of business development. Wow, that's great. And and Mark, just out of curiosity, when you say you worked in Canada and in Europe, did, were you actually physically located in Europe at some point too, or just? Yes, yeah, I was located in, yeah, I was located in Switzerland. Um, I oh. was responsible for marketing and sales uh, uh, within uh, for Europe. So I had uh, over 50 markets that I was responsible for. Uh, it, it wasn't in the energy space, it was in the consumer goods space, but it gave me great perspective of, uh, you know, socioeconomic conditions mm -hmm. of Europe, which we, we see playing out today's news. I, I, I get a, I have an interesting perspective having that experience. Wow. And as often as I speak to you, I'm, I'm learning something new about you today. So this is fantastic. Uh, Morgan, why don't you, uh, why don't you answer that question for us as well? Where did you start off in the energy space and how did you end up with, with uh, Liberty Utilities? Yeah, so um, like Mark, I came to Liberty through the acquisition of our uh, New Brunswick business, um, including my time with Enbridge. Uh, I've been with Liberty for about four years, mainly working in the, the technical space and, and technical roles uh, due to my engineering background. Um, in my business development role, I have been supporting our, our regulated group, uh, Again, in, in those technical roles with the development of things like renewable energy projects, um, mostly on the thermal side with RNG and, and hydrogen. hydrogen. Um, but uh, I came to the energy space, uh, I guess, yeah, like four years ago, and it was really um, the area that I knew I wanted to be in. I had done a master's degree in, uh, in nuclear energy, so it was kind of... Uh, the area that I wanted to pursue. And, and this was my way to, to get in touch with that space. That's great. And because, because we're engineers and you're obviously an engineer as well, where did you go to school and what did you study? What type of engineering? I, I studied chemical engineering in my undergrad. And then my, 
my master's was uh, technically chemical engineering as well, but I did it under the Center for Nuclear Energy Research, um, mm. again, at UMB, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's, before we dive in kind of to our, our main topic, uh, I think it would be good for our listeners to get some background on Liberty, what you do, where you are geographically, anything else relevant. Um, give, give us the down low on Liberty. All right. I'll, uh, I'll take that one. Uh, and, you know, before, uh, I guess, first of all, you know, Liberty really is a relatively uh, young organization in the energy space. It was uh, founded in Canada just uh, around 30 years ago in 1988, to be specific. Uh, it, was, it was established by developing a number of hydroelectric projects in Ontario. Uh, and then today, um, Algonquin Power and Utilities Corp is our parent company. And a lot of people don't know this, but they're headquartered in Oakville, Ontario. So they're, they're a Canadian company. And they operate both a, um, a regulated and an unregulated business. Um, uh, and uh, they, uh, they trade, uh, the trade name for both is Liberty. So that's how we know Liberty, but it's really um, uh, Algonquin uh, Power and Utilities Corp is, is, uh, is, is the parent. Uh, the regulated side of the business focuses on electric distribution, water, wastewater, and the natural gas systems that Morgan and I work for. And the renewable team generates and distributes the electrical energy through its hydroelectric, wind, solar, and thermal assets. And in, in all cases, um, these, uh, these assets are managed primarily uh, through these two groups in North America, but we've recently expanded into South America and Bermuda. So, Wow. Very cool. Thank you, Mark. Uh, we're, we're getting a little bit of a noise kind of hang up on maybe if, if you take off the camera we'll, we'll hear you click clearly um but but thank you for the rundown and i i don't know if either of you know this but my my father uh, who is still at liberty uh, was employee number two um so algonquin was started by uh, four principals uh and then the second employee was my father and my family moved from north of barry to uh burlington just outside of oakville because these hydroelectric facilities that Mark mentioned uh, broke all the time, and uh, and, and my, my father had grown there up in go. that space. I have many memories. Of, I have a memory of being in grade one and going to the principal's office to ask the secretary how to spell the word Kappa's casing, because I was doing a journal entry <laughs> about my father who was traveling for business, and he was in Kappa's casing, and I didn't know how to spell it. Uh, you were just okay. checking up on him. You were, you were just yeah. checking, up, checking up on him. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, it's been, I, I spent a co-op term there at Algonquin when they had just finished the Liberty uh, acquisition, and it's been uh, quite something to watch uh, the development and and really see how, you know, what four guys dreamed up and what it's turned yeah. into and, and real force for good. So, uh, very, 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 That's, very exciting. And Matt, and Matt, I did know that, and I, I do on we occasion. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I'm on occasion on some telephone calls with them, but I just haven't had a chance to get into too much detail, but I look forward to having yeah. that conversation. Cool. Good, good, good. Awesome. So Morgan and Mark, Liberty Utilities made sort of a, I'll call it a major announcement at some point last year. Uh, very similar in some ways to what a lot of, you know, corporate big organizations have done. And that's these big goals towards becoming carbon neutral. And I think you're, uh, you're trying to achieve net zero by 2050, if memory serves me correct. And I think that's for scope one and two emissions across your business operations. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means for liber to Liberty, you know, what regulated services this affects, 
and maybe the pathway that Liberty expects to follow to achieve the targets? Yeah, I think, um, well, first and foremost, Algonquin's literal purpose is sustaining energy and water for life. So sustaining, uh, sustaining those things and sustainability in general is literally embedded into our purpose and our direction as a company. Um, so what that means to Liberty um, is that we have set these goals and are investigating pathways that can really get us to net zero by 2050. So we have made some interim commitments um, and we're also looking for reduction opportunities throughout our business operations, um, investigating and implementing uh, things like evolving technologies. Um, and really a big piece is helping to develop and support policy and regulations around these things. Um, but really it's going to affect our entire business. Um, in particular, some of the areas where uh, we're focusing would be transition to renewable generation, um, learning more about heating with green fuels, um, which would be like by introducing renewable natural gas and hydrogen into our distribution network. And um, obviously, there's there's many other things that, that we're looking to do, um, upgrading and replacing infrastructure as necessary. Um, but one thing that I would say from my personal experience of working for Algonquin um, is that innovation and I think entrepreneurialism um, are really like at the core of what the company is. Um, so I think that that's going to be really helpful um, in working toward meeting the, the 2050 target. Mm. Interesting. And so for our listeners, Morgan, like when we think about CO2 emission, uh, CO2 emissions, what does that actually mean? Like how many CO, like what is the, the, the amount of CO2 emissions that actually need to be reduced to get to that net zero? Yeah. So I, I believe we have just over 2 million um, metric tons of CO2 uh, emissions to reduce across our organization, which is wow. a lot. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I think kind of puts that in perspective is um, the fact that we have reduced by about 1.2 million metric tons from 2017 levels. Um, and that was largely due to the retirement of the Asbury coal plant, um, which is in Missouri. Um, so that was retired and, and actually replaced with like, I think 600 megawatts of uh, new wind generation, wow. uh, which started in early early last year. Um, so obviously, while that's great, um, there is still work to be done. Uh, and and we, we have made these large commitments, like I talked about before, with the interim targets and long-term goals of greening the fleet and, and everything like that. But um, I think we are well on our way, and it's something that's really important to our company. And Morgan, as, a, as the, on, the, on the regulated side of the business, how... I think of, you know, fossil gas that moves through your infrastructure or uh, electricity that moves over your wires from a kind of scope one, scope two, and, and forgive me if this is obvious, but how does that, I understand the coal being a regulated generating asset coming out that comes off your books. How does the, the, the commodities that you move affect your uh, emissions profile? If you just are moving gas and you're not actually you know, burning it or whatever, does that impact your accounting? Like walk us through how those commodities are handled. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, Mark, can you speak to that better than I can? 
Yeah, I think um, at, at this point in time, and mostly because the regulations are not in place yet, really, to uh, to get down to that level of detail. But I think it's a great question, Matt, because it's coming. You know, in mm-hmm. Canada, in Canada is an example, um, and specifically in New Brunswick, but we're not seeing uh, provinces charge uh, 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 carbon tax, I guess, equally across all the jurisdictions in Canada. So in New Brunswick is an example. We're not affected by that. And I just say yet. Um, right. It is it is coming in in the U.S., but I'd say at the U.S. it's going to be at state level because there's not a federal um, strategy on carbon um, uh, neutrality yet. Um, but it's coming. So right. it, we're I guess the point is is that we're getting ready for that because yeah. we know it's coming. So you know, and we'll talk about it. I'm sure um, there's investments uh, that we're making, like in renewable natural gas, hydrogen, knowing that that's happening. So we're not waiting for that. And mm. in New Brunswick, as an example, just to give you a scope, our uh, market price for our gas, and you might cringe a little bit because it's high in New Brunswick, but it's the, the molecule of gas is around $8 a gigajoule, whereas <laughs> maybe in Ontario, it's it's three. But let's say it's eight in New Brunswick. Carbon tax by 2030, the $170 per, uh, per ton that will be applied is going to add almost $10 a gigajoule just in tax. So that carbon tax is going to virtually double the price of, of natural gas in New Brunswick. Imagine what it's going to do across the country. And so it's coming. We're getting ready. And uh, I guess that's really what we're talking about today. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and I apologize, you know, apologies in some respect for the question, because it wasn't part of it, our prep questions on the, on the great question. Great <laughs> question. <laughs> I think we all are asking ourselves questions that we don't necessarily know the answers to, and that's okay, right? Like we, we're, we're kind of figuring this out uh, together. I, I used a, a, an analogy in a meeting yesterday that I won't use because it was a bit um, too far, but like we're, we're figuring this out together as we move, you know, into this new reality. And that's kind of fun, right? It's for us as engineers, there there's problems and challenges, uh, you know, abound and, and uh, we love that stuff, right? So appreciate yeah. you guys kind of uh, giving us a glimpse into what's in front of you and what you're, what you're doing. And, and on that, you know, topic, and you guys have hinted at this, but walk us through some of you know, we're, we're, you know, we're technology uh, kind of geeks, I think, around this table. Like, what are some of the technologies and initiatives that you see? And does that change in different aspects and parts of the business? Walk us through what you see on the right. Well, uh, and I think it might go back to, to a bit of where I was going with my answering your last question, but I'll, I'll get down to the solution side, which is the fun, fun part of the business. But really at a high level, again, in North America, you really need to begin to look at where the carbon emissions have the greatest impacts and that's that's in the short term where we're seeing an investment in the focus and in both cases oil oil and gas uh, electric generation energy generation you know where coal uh, and fossil fuels persist heating of buildings and transportation have the greatest opportunities to reach uh, carbon neutrality goals um, and there's a number of pathways pathways to get there but to answer your question on technologies you know, wind is an example, um, the example that Morgan gave in Missouri. And we're seeing uh, the development of offshore wind uh, in North America. We see it in Europe, but it's mm. it's coming very fast in, in uh, North America, offshore wind, solar, RNG that we've talked about, hydrogen. We're spending a lot of time on hydrogen. District heating and micro CHP are, are the keys that, that we're seeing in the, in the early days. Um, I don't want to dismiss electrification. Electrification is well underway in Canada. Uh, and in the U.S., but in Canada, we see that it's part of the federal government strategy. So, as I said, I didn't want to dismiss it. Uh, but both elect- electrification or electricity and, uh, you know, some of the solutions that I mentioned earlier 
the technologies uh, need to be integrated and the approach needs to be integrated because uh, electrification and and even the solutions that I mentioned can't get to carbon neutrality on on their own. They need to come together, um, especially especially um, the years uh, between 2030 and 2050, because uh, if you look at provinces and, and, and their reporting of carbon reduction, they're all hitting their targets for the most part, but they're really pointing out that uh, the difficult uh, period will be between 2030 and 2050. And as I said, it will require a multi-pronged approach. And, and and Mark and Morgan and and Lisa feel free to weigh in. Like those of us who are in the space, that that complexity and that you know having to have multiple solutions is exciting and and a challenge. Does it sometimes though um, cause you know you folks um, kind of maybe pushback's not the right word, but does it, you know, the, the electrification thing, I think, gains traction because it's so simple, right? Whereas, you know, RNG and hydrogen and and, and they're beautiful things, but but they're a bit more complicated, right? Whereas I think as a yeah. society, if we had one solution, let's just do the one solution and, and make it easy. Do you guys run into that where you, you know there's multiple solutions, but it's easy it's easy for policymakers just to grab onto the, the easy solution? I would say yes to that. Um, you know, when I think about it in a lot of jurisdictions in North America, they have these large assets that they built that they wanted to last for 40 years. And um, in many cases, they're not even halfway through paying them off. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's an economic reality that us uh, as taxpayers are going to get stuck with, with that bill while we transition. So in some cases, you know, federal government's going to help, um, but in other cases, it's it's difficult because a lot of these generation plants are billions of dollars. You know, they're worth billions, mm -hmm. and um, they're difficult moves to make. Um, so uh, politicians and decision makers are struggling to make those, but we do see, you know, a lot of early adoption happening and a lot of leadership happening. You know, places like uh, British Columbia, we're seeing it in Quebec, we're seeing it in Oregon, in the U.S., we're seeing, you know, a number of places, but... Those who are struggling, and there'll be a number, it's really, I think it gets down to that issue of the, mm. just the cost is enormous. Um, but um, I think that's that's the big issue. Mark, I want to I want to back up just for a second to, uh, you know, part of the, the discussion you had here with Matt with regards to the cost of natural gas in New Brunswick, specifically the $8 a, a GJ, where you're comparing Ontario, for example, to $3 a GJ. I'm thinking if I was a listener of the show and if I was in the U.S. or other parts of Canada, I'd be like, whoa, well, what, what's the big, what's the difference? Like, why are people, why is the gas price that high there? Can you, can you educate our listeners a little bit on that part? And is it something that you would see going down as you continue to do more of these types of renewable-based projects, whether it's hydrogen or RNG, or what does that look like? Mm. Yeah, a, a great question, uh, Lisa. And, and I mean, uh, Atlantic Canada um is uh, adopted natural gas uh you know just recently again it's uh, not even uh 30 years ago it was when the first gas system i shouldn't say the first because back in the 1800s there was gas in moncton but uh after that system uh was uh decommissioned it was 30 years ago it came back into the market it was a it was a new product and um coupled with a very small market in atlantic canada including newfoundland might have three million people if we're lucky. Um, so it, it, it's it's a small volume, um, and uh, there's not a lot of economic development going on in the region. You don't have a lot of manufacturing. So, with that heavy burden of uh, large capital, um, 
in the ground with with uh, small volumes of people and volume of, of of energy you just by by nature get a high price um mm. so that that's really at, at the root of it and um we have twelve thousand customers in new brunswick and heritage gas has uh, a little over eight thousand in uh, in nova scotia so again it, it's really economics is what's driving it do i see it going down yes i do um, we've seen uh, that trending down for the last number of years as more and more people use it and, uh, and more and more infrastructure goes in the ground and I, and I say sourced gas becomes uh, more readily readily available in the market. We're seeing that price go down. I don't see $3 gas. Do I see $6, $7 gas? Yes, but that's that's probably where it lands. Okay. No, that's that's good to know because if I were... You know, if I'm a if I'm a customer, an industrial, for example, in you know New Brunswick, and you're comparing different technologies, including electrification, like that part might matter, right? So that's uh, yeah. that's that's great. But if I could, but if I could, but if I could add, Lisa, one thing that I am seeing, which is interesting, is that hydrogen. If you look at business cases today for hydrogen, I'm hearing of thirty dollar hydrogen in Saskatchewan. I'm hearing of thirty dollar hydrogen in Ontario, and it's thirty dollars yeah. per per gigajoule in New Brunswick. As we get into these new technologies, um, that may level off the playing field when we get into that next generation of energy. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Seventy dollars a ton makes a lot of things make sense, right? Like that really levels the playing field, and I think that's it. The, does. Yeah. 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 So, so I derailed us a little bit, but um, can, can you can you talk about some of the projects that you guys have actually completed over the last couple of years? And maybe that's projects that are putting you sort of in this direction, obviously, of net zero by 2050. Um, but talk about some of those and where they're located from a geographic perspective, if you could as well. Sure. You know, Mor Morgan touched on one, and that was the uh, the wind project in Missouri. Um, so I, I won't go over that one too much, but I think that's a that's a really key one because I think it sets us up for, you know, our our um, uh, assets that we're uh, trying to close on in Kentucky, whereby it's kind of a similar story. So in Missouri, we we own the we operated a coal electric generating facility for three years, and when we decided to close it, we decided to close it uh, with uh, 600 megawatts of uh, of wind. And so um, those assets um, basically were then constructed and commissioned in 2020. <clears throat> and it, it, um, it basically, as Morgan said, removed a million metric tons of carbon, which was huge. Um, yeah. And then it also saved uh, customers $300 million, or it's proposed to save over $300 million over 30 years. Wow. So that's a, so that's a game changer. And when you think of um, you know, the extension of that, because <clears throat> we know with wind, you can then generate hydrogen. Um, you know, certainly that'll be the next generation of Missouri that we'll hear. So wind created that 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 footprint for that to, for that to take place. And the second example, and it's not so much uh, a project, but I think it's more projects that we see coming. And it talks about the speed of change is renewable natural gas. You know, in 2020, um, when we Morgan and I really start, first started to work with Liberty, our RNG wasn't even a conversation. Hmm. And now in 2021, 2021. We have projects literally taking place in every market that we operate on in the eastern uh, region in North America. So every market has a project that we're working on. Mm. We have a number in the Midwest. And then at the end of last year, we purchased an RNG production facility in Wisconsin. So that that's it really in one year. So it's I think there are two examples, not of, you know, just specific projects, but just the speed in which the market's moving. The the uh, the, the project you um 
that you purchased in Missouri, Mark, was it uh, is like is it injecting into the pipeline or is it CNG or what? It, what is the 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 nature of that project of Curiosity? Yes, it's, it's actually it's it's a gathering. Uh, it's in Wisconsin. Sorry if I if I my misspoke. It's actually in, in Wisconsin. It's that might a gathering. Been. Yeah, no problem. It's a gathering facility of of uh, agricultural waste that's uh, gathering that gas and it's uh, it's producing. It's basically cleaning it up and and putting it into the gas uh, distribution network. Uh, so we we own and operate that facility, whereas in other cases we're just an off taker of of gas. Um, but in this one, we actually own it, and we're looking to expand it as well. Wow. And Mark, and on that piece, in terms of where you know Liberty fits, you mentioned because there's different parts of the value stack where you know you mentioned the Wisconsin stuff where you own the facilities uh, for Liberty Utilities pipe in the ground. Do you have an obligation to purchase, you know, minimum amounts of, uh, you know, green gas or, you know, are you just, you know, do you have a tolling agreement? You move it through for people like on the utility side, what's your, what's your role in the RNG or, or can you also invest, you know, as well in, in what you guys are doing in the actual facility? Yeah, I can't speak to those markets specifically. I'm, I'm not close to them, but you know, generally, where we have a gas distribution franchise in most jurisdictions, um, we have a, a monopoly, so we are obliged to serve uh, those markets. Right. Um, in a number of markets, yes, we would have a um, a rate where we would, um, and they normally would be published, where we would we would give a set uh, a set price for renewable natural gas. Um, so that that if it's not in place. And there was a business. That's the direction that Liberty would head in. Um, that's on the regulated side. And then on the unregulated side, if if that situation occurred, it would really be a market conversation that the, that the two organizations would have. But you know, we 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 generally have regulated gas utilities, and that's the approach that we would take is uh, is a published price. And we want to see uh, further further uh, development of RNG and uh, projects either that we're involved in or others develop because again it gives us more and more access to rng that that we want and and, mm. and want to include into our gas gas system did i answer your and question matt you did yes you did okay great i'm not sure if this question is for you mark or morgan but like how does this whole partnership with chevron fit into all of this like how does that uh is that aimed at, and was it created to kind of help build out or reduce or you know your, your emissions to get to net zero or what was the what was the purpose and how does that work that partnership yeah so basically um well like we're talking about um continuing to invest in these renewable energy solutions uh is kind of basic fundamental of algonquin's business strategy so um through a partnership like this, uh, we're essentially working together to build and develop um, affordable, reliable, uh, and altogether, I guess, cleaner energy. Um, so I guess for people who maybe don't know about the partnership, um, Algonquin and Chevron announced an agreement to co-develop uh, renewable power projects uh, that will basically provide electricity to I think certain assets uh, across Chevron's portfolio. Um, I think the plan is to generate more than 500 megawatts uh, or wow. something like that for their um, existing and future electricity demand, um, making commitments obviously of their own to reducing carbon emissions. 
Um, and obviously we as a sustainably focused company support that. Um, I know that one thing uh, is for certain about Liberty and Algonquin is that we're constantly investigating um, innovation and partnerships. Um, and I think it's nice to know that a company like Chevron um, with their reach uh, wanted to work with Algonquin. And what is the, like, when we talk about co-developing these projects, what does that look like on paper? Like, is it, is it, like, are you both jointly owning and operating this? Or, like, how, how does the, how does the ownership and operation work? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I can't entirely speak to that, because um, I'm not directly involved. But I do know that, like, Algonquin is leveraging mostly their, their expertise in, in, in operations, um, and, and their experience with renewable energy assets. Um, so I think that's where we are kind of at the table um, for, for these projects. Okay, cool. You, you have a um, kind of going back to our script here, you have a, a pipe replacement program under the Environmental Protection a a Agency's <coughs> methane challenge. And we hear, you know, methane get elevated in the discussion, um, you know, as a very, you know, bad emitter of, of greenhouse gases, uh, big contributor to that. Talk to us about that. What does that program look like? Where is it happening? Kind of what are some of the goals and, and focuses of it? Yeah, so um, the actual methane challenge um, just as a bit of background, it basically allows for, for natural gas uh, and I guess other energy companies to make and sort of track their commitments to lower methane emissions from their pipelines. Um, and I, I believe to my understanding that the, it's actually a voluntary program. Um, but under that program, we, Algonquin, have uh, committed to a pipe replacement rate of about uh, I think it's 6.5% annually. So basically that means that we're working to replace any unprotected steel or cast iron pipes um, that are left uh, within our distribution systems. Um, and I, I do know that this program in particular has been a really big focus for our utility mm. um, and that we have actually made a lot of progress in, in the last few years with that. Um, I think the Algonquin has actually exceeded the 6.5% every year, hmm. um, which is, I, I think, something that is great to, to share. Um, and I know that they're also continuing to make investments in that. I, I believe we're, we only have like 2.5% left of our system to convert over to, through the replacement program. Um, but we've allocated like millions of dollars to, to improve upon our, our existing infrastructure. So it's it's an ongoing uh, activity, but it's definitely important, like you say, with the methane emissions and, and things like that. So hmm. and and this this the um you guys have like a finance group, which I actually when I was sort of we were prepping for this podcast, I had no idea you guys have a finance group. I think you guys call it Liberty Utilities Finance GP1. What is that about? Is that part of this own operate piece that you guys are doing, or how does that fit into things? Yeah, actually, when you uh, when you asked the question, uh, I, I dug into it. I, you know, it's not something that I uh, was very knowledgeable about, but I did I did manage to to find out that uh, this is um, uh, basically the financing arm for Liberty Utilities uh, Company, uh, Liberty Utilities Co. Uh, but it's basically Liberty Liberty Utilities Company, and it's owned by Algonquin. 
And really okay. the purpose, the, the purpose of uh, the company is to issue debt and loan funds um, to, uh, to Liberty, essentially. So it's, it's really uh, the group that goes to the market and, and raises the money uh, required for uh, all the projects that we're, that we're aware of. And um, that's, that's really what that group's all about, just very focused on attracting capital and, okay. and, and funding. And and on the on the utility side, Mark, you're in most cases you're truly a, a regulated utility whereby you have a some some type of governing body that you must go to and, and justify, you know, your your rate basis based on your capital. That's that's on, on the that's liberty right. utility side of the house, that's how that whole mechanism works, right? That is correct, yes. Yeah, we, we literally go through quite a, a process in front of uh, our, our various jurisdictions. And it's it's an open book um, exercise where we we have to prove that um, we're um, not burdening ratepayers, that it's good for ratepayers, you know, our investments and our operations. And um, yeah, it's it's very controlled, but um, it, uh, it it sets a very clear stage for the customer and a very clear, uh, clear uh, stage for us to operate. So yeah. And do you have limits in terms of what can get rolled into the rate base, like these RNG projects or hydrogen or things like that, where it's more than just you know, uh, you know, copper in the sky or or steel in the ground? You know, how 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 broad can you be in terms of you know, if you can make a, a rate a rate payer focused business case, can you roll it in, or are there limits? Yeah, there definitely are are limits, and uh, you know, I think uh, renewable energy. Uh, investments in, um, I'll speak of Canada, but I would say uh, it, it's definitely the case in the U.S., is that um, uh, the the speed of change is not caught up or is, is, is uh, going faster than uh, legislation and regulation uh, currently allows. So in, in uh, where we have regulated businesses, we're now uh, educating the regulators and giving them a line of sight of where we're going with, with investments and we're in New Brunswick's case, we're actually are, are meeting with the government to say, currently we're not allowed to invest in um, uh, renewable natural gas as an example or hydrogen because it's it's not part of legislation. So we're actually um, having to amend or or seek approvals to uh, to change uh, legislation or change regulations to allow for these. So that that's definitely a. Um, a very important uh, element of of what we've been talking about is getting legislation in place, and um, it's an issue right across Canada, and it's mm -hmm. definitely an issue in, in in a number of the U.S. states. Uh, there's probably about I don't know 15 states and provinces that have got, gotten over that hump, and have set very clear goals and very clear um, guidelines. But that's it. The rest are are still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a it's it's a good question, and it's a it's a reason why projects will slow down is because of yeah. that. Well, thank you for, uh, for, for, to both of you for, for showing leadership and advocacy that, that, that's, uh, that's not for everybody that, that, uh, initiative of, of, you know, educating the regulators and, and the policymakers and, and, and leading, leading the charge. So, uh, so, so thank you. One, one kind of follow-up question related to kind of the regulated business. I know Lisa's got another question on ESG here in a minute, but, are you we're familiar you know in ontario here with our utility having a mandate 
uh, around conservation of, of natural gas. Do, do you have similar mandates uh, either internally or you know throughout uh, throughout your distribution networks for uh, conservation of gas? Um, uh, not in New Brunswick. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess I can't answer that question directly. Um, I'm not familiar with any as far as specifically on conservation. Uh, right. But are you talking about um, uh, efficiency, like uh, efficiency of uh, of the use of gas? Is that what you're, yeah. fo you're focusing yeah. on? Yes. So, okay. Yeah. So in, en yeah. in Enbridge's territory, they have a very well-developed Yes. Uh, you know, CDM demand management, you know, conservation and demand management program. Gotcha. Um, you, you have similar initiatives in your service territories? Yes, yes, we do. Um, and mostly mature, uh, like Enbridge. Enbridge is uh, 100, over 100 years old. Right. Uh, you know, um, it's not about growth anymore. Um, they've captured the market. And um, some more mature utilities would have that. And we see that in the U.S. Northeast U.S. has, has similar programs. But right. they're in New Brunswick. We don't have those again because of our maturity mm. of our of our um, utility. We're still uh, considered a, uh, a a new and growing utility. But that will come, and I think that's going back to carbon reduction goals and ESG goals. That's a, a critical piece is mm -hmm. um, efficiency, and um, and re and, redu and reduction of energy use. So, yeah, it's 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 a good question. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about that, Mark, the ESG goals. So for our listeners, that stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. And, of course, your net zero uh, targets fit into that. But can you talk to us a about some of the other ESG goals do you guys have come up with at Liberty? Sure, sure. Yeah, actually, there's nine goals. Um, and uh, those nine goals are short-term goals. So we set them uh, in increments you know, of, of, uh, of short-term goals so that we are very focused on, on obviously on that that path of carbon neutrality by uh, by 2050, um, mm -hmm. but essentially we have nine um, that were set, and um, in 2023 uh, we'll see those targets be be adjusted. But essentially, you know, on the on the three pillars of environmental, social, and, and uh, governance, as you have said, and looking at uh, environmental as an example, um, uh, we have a target of reaching 75% renewable generation by the end of 2023. Well, already in 2021, we hit 63%, so we're well on our way wow. of, of wow. reaching that. Morgan mentioned earlier about the reduction of GHG emissions uh, by 1 million metric tons by 2017 levels. We've already reached that, so we're at 1.1, and that wind project in Missouri really was at the at the front end of ha having making that happen. I think social is an interesting one, and uh, you know, um, exceeding 30% uh, of women in leadership roles. At, at Algonquin, uh, we're already at 32%. So wow. Already, yeah. So I wanted, I was excited by that because, uh, you know, Morgan's a great example of that. And we're just seeing the, seeing the, that perspective and, uh, really, uh, shine through and what, and what we do. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it's amazing. We're seeing more and more, uh, women, um, and, and invisible minorities and others coming on. And, and we're really excited by that. I think, cool. I, I think the, the big one is governance, you know, um, putting a, a robust uh, compliance framework in place, and that's another uh, goal. And to me, that's fundamental. You know, things like scorecards, um, alignment on, on on bonuses, and making sure that they're part of people's bonuses. That that whole framework is already in place. Um, and uh, I think we're in maybe year three or year two, and it's part of how we operate our business now. Every employee is 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 goes through it, is aware of all of the goals and how it fits within their job. 
And uh, I think those are the key ones that I thought I would share. Yeah, I, I was, uh, so I reviewed your ESG your goals just before uh, coming onto the podcast. And what I liked about them is they're so deliberate. Like if you look at a couple, you know, many other companies who have come up with ESG goals, we're actually in the process of CM, CEM of uh, putting together our own. Yours are so deliberate in the fact that you've decided what that timeline looks like. And it's not 2030 necessarily. Like, as you said, Mark, it's 2023. So. Yeah. So I guess Liberty's intention is to every couple of years refresh that and come up with new goals and obviously, you know, achieve them. And then again, every two or three years kind of refresh those. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. And and we and we're looking at it also broadly as well as it's, you know, it's our operations and how are we uh, ourselves evolving. But we also look at uh, other um elements of, uh, of of ESG and and carbon emission uh, reductions and you know uh, we look at what what's the UN uh, really uh, focusing in on as we look across other jurisdictions in North America or in the, in the world I should say as we look to grow um, we, we're really looking at it from a broad perspective at the same mm-hmm. time so as we get to that next 2023 and we get into 2024 um, we can evolve to what's happening in the world and making sure that we're we're evolving in a um, a, um, a robust way, but also in a way that's um, representative of what really we're part of a globe, right? It's not just what's happening in North America. So yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I love it because it's like, if you look at so many others where they've set the goals for 2030 or 2050, like it, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't allow for that flexibility in a way, right? Like you're, you're just yeah. coming up with a statement to say you're going to be net zero by, we'll call it 2050. And that's great. I mean, I think that the fact that somebody has set a goal in place is a, is a great start, but you guys have broken yours down a little bit more and you have those shorter timelines and you're adjusting it as things go on. And I, I like that idea. I think that's great. And, and it's nice to see that you went on and looked at that, uh, the, the report and I encourage anybody to look at it because it's really goes, as you say, pretty deep and pretty deliberate and it's oh, very yeah. granular right down, you know, very, very granular about what it is that we're planning on doing to, to reach uh, those nine targets. So, um, it's, 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 it's not a read for everybody, but, uh, for those who are into that space, it's a good one. Yeah. And congratulations, by the way, on, on meeting the ones that, you know, some of the targets that you've already set. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'll pass that yeah. along. Thank you. And I, and I think it speaks to it. And Morgan touched on it earlier. You know, the, the ethos or the culture that is, you know, Liberty slash Algonquin. And I realize I realize I'm biased because the corporation funded my growing <laughs> up years. But uh, <laughs> I, I've been I've been close enough, you know, to it in a variety of different contexts. And it and it's you know it's it's changed a bit. I, I for sure as organizations do. But there's a real intentionality and a level of integrity there. And and I I think that this is just another, you know, you know another example of that. That that just kind of spills out of a of a good you know corporate culture so um yeah glad we could spend some time and and uh yeah point people to uh to your website there to go find that i'm sure it's available there so um thank you both i want to make sure did we you know we've kind of exhausted our our preordained script but you know this is energy radio no topic is uh is off off topic so uh, morgan or mark are there other things that we you know we haven't touched on that you thought we were going to get to or you know, something that you thought of as you were driving into work today that, uh, does anybody do that anymore, by the way? Do we, does anybody actually <laughs> drive into work? <laughs> Anyways, uh, kind of last kind of question, anything else we've missed that uh, our leaders or our, our listeners need to need to hear from you both? 
I, I actually had one, but we touched on it, and that was that, that legislation piece. I think uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's critical for that to uh, work in sidestep with uh, innovation and uh, the, uh, how the market's moving. Um, again, we're seeing great, great examples of where it is, but if we're going to keep the pace and hit the targets that we need to hit, that's going to be critical for governments to uh, really uh, pick up their game and uh, and we're seeing it, but there's some that that are lagging. That's going to be so critical where we're going to fall behind. And uh, as you said, we're pushing, but it's it's a big piece. And I just wanted to make sure that uh, I, I made that point again. So thanks for the opportunity. Right yeah, I, I think the only thing that I'll add is that um, I mean we're talking about sustainability from like a pretty corporate lens, but and Mark touched on this a little bit, um, but we have like sustainability groups on the regional level and right down to the local level as well. Um, so we have within each state and province um, a sustainability team at each uh, at each utility. And so we, we do focus on things as big as uh, decommissioning coal plants, um, but we go right down to things like planting pollinator gardens and improving our recycling programs. Um, so uh, it's it's really an important thing to to do because I feel like that's the way that you engage your your employees um, and kind of touch areas that are important to them mm -hmm. um, and it, it then encourages them to kind of buy into uh, the corporate culture and, and the strategies behind what we're doing so I think that that's just an important piece to mention uh, that's a great great point to finish with Morgan thank you because it you know we, we struggle with that too even though we're a very small organization by comparison how do we come up with you know kind of a, a vision or a uh, you know a mission or the, the, the fusion of the two Simon Sinek would call it a just cause you know this yeah. just cause that you know just cause for you know thousands of megawatts of wind as noble as it is is sometimes hard for the individual to latch on to right you know not everybody gets excited about you know how you design a wind turbine foundation um but how do we <laughs> how do we translate that just cause down to something that everybody can grasp and, and there is a way to do it and it is important yeah. to do it so I love that. That's a great example, Morgan. Thank you for highlighting that. And and you know, it's 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 hopefully encouraging. It certainly is for me and for our listeners. A, a reminder: How do we bring that? You know, it's both global, as Mark talked about, but it's also you know local. And uh, and there's a lot we can we can do. And and we all have you know families and friends that we can kind of bring along for the ride as well. So. Um, Thank you, thank you very much for both of you for your your insights and and telling some stories of what you've been working on. Uh, if our listeners want to hear or connect with you, are you LinkedIn best place to find? How is the best place to find you, folks? Yeah, I'm I'm on LinkedIn for sure, um, and my uh, my email address certainly reach out. That's Mark Murray at LibertyUtilities.com. So okay. feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. Yeah, connect connect with us on LinkedIn, and we'll be happy to to answer any questions that you might have. Awesome. Well, thanks again to both of you. Uh, it's been uh, been real fun. Uh, I have, uh, in the main business, heard a lot about both of you, and it's great to finally <laughs> uh, Morgan for the first time, and Mark again, and and uh, looking forward to you know the upcoming years and and maybe doing some projects together, and certainly watching uh, the initiatives you guys have going on. So thank you for carving out uh, time out of your busy day to spend with with us, and really appreciate it. As do our listeners, uh, Lisa. As always, thank you for. Um, in prepping us and getting us ready with great questions and, and great conversation. Uh, our man behind the glass, Mr. Mark Charbonneau, thank you for 
making us sound good. And most importantly, thank you to our listeners for tuning in uh, to another episode of Energy Radio. As always, if you have uh, feedback or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Matt at CEMeng.ca. Uh, give us your feedback. Give us a, a like and a and share us with your friends if we've brought to value that would mean the world to us. Uh, and until uh, until we meet again, stay safe and have fun.